Good day, folks. This is Shane Hasty for the InfoQ Engineering Culture Podcast. This is the continuation of the conversation I started recently with Ivar Jakobsen. Ivar, you've also been recently working on Use Case 2.0 and launched or about to launch, released upon the world. So what's different with Use Case 2.0? Different to use cases, the old use cases, is that it's now adopted to work very well in agile teams to find elements for the backlog. So that has been several years since we did that. We adopted it and wrote an ebook about this five, six years ago. And we have been teaching that to big companies and we got a lot of experience and using, not only teaching, using it as coaches and help teams to adopt it. If you compare it with popular user stories, there is nothing in user stories that is not also in use case 2.0. So use case 2.0 provides more than what user story does. I would like to start to get the big picture. Use cases or requirements in general have a huge impact on what you build, of course. Mm. Now, I have to be make clear, I'm not talking about the requirement specification. You don't need to have a written document. You still have requirements if you're going to build something that is successful. So requirements can be tacit knowledge, but they play an important role for so many things in software development. For instance, first of all, they are very important input from business analysis. If you want to build something, you need to understand that this is something that can make money. Requirements are important for business analysis, but also for building architecture. Without having a clear understanding of what requirements you're going to build, you cannot create an architecture that is, will last for a long time. You don't want to redesign as soon as you get new requirements. So some upfront design is absolutely needed in all modern agile projects, but then you need to find the best requirements to do that. And you also, so basically you build a skeleton system, and that skeleton system has the key requirements have impacted it. And the idea is, as you add new requirements, you don't need to change the skeleton. You just add more flesh to the skeleton. So that's another important aspect. Testing is, of course, you need to have requirements that are testable, that you really implement. So testing is very much impacted by the ability to write good requirements. And reuse is also a very important aspect. You want to build software where you can reuse a lot for new markets or new clients and so on. User stories has very important contribution. They are good as backlog elements. In modern software development means we use backlogs. We have always done that before. It just we didn't make it formal. I mean, of course, you need to have a backlog, whatever you did, just not formalized as it is in Scrum. Now, the wonderful thing about use cases is that they serve a role all the way from that you start to think about what you're going to build all the way down to testing. So they are test cases or or groups of test cases. And you get the big picture. One thing we usually do when you start building a new product is that you have some storming session and you identify who are the users of a system and what can the system 
offered to these users, that is use cases. So this is something you can do in three, four hours. And after three, four hours, you have a picture with all the key users and we call them actors. And then the use cases, they can be offered. And that is a big picture that is incredibly valuable for the whole team to understand. Whatever role you play in working, having that picture in your mind helps you. Now, from these use cases, you can now slice them into meaningful, value-contributing, minor use cases. We call them use case slices. So use case is a set of use case slices. Each use case slice is like one or two stories, user stories, and they are then put in a backlog. So these slices are backlog elements. You can break them down till you get to elements that you can implement in one sprint. Mm-hmm. So uh, the people who need to get the higher level picture, they get the use case model. They can understand it. And not everybody needs to know 700 user stories and try to get them. A product, I've always said since we started the use cases, that even a big system can be represented by, say, I used the number 12 just to show it's not a clear number, but it's something between 10 and 20. With 10 and 20 to 20 use cases, you have a real product that will require one, maybe take a year to develop together with a team or a big team. But now the beauty is, so you have this picture and understand. So the top level management in the organization can understand what is it that you're doing. They can impact it. They can say, so what about this? Don't you need to have a use case for this? And so they can actually participate. And you can sell. You don't sell user stores when you sell. You sell higher level elements like your use cases. And you can then go all the way into test. So use case 2.0 support test-driven development. It is nothing else than test-driven development. You start by identifying the use cases and that is what you are going to test. For systems that you know or hope will live longer than the first release, you have the use case model to start with when you start the second release and the third release and so on. So you have something to build on and not just a collection of user stories. We don't see any reason more than in very special cases when you don't know if it will survive and you don't want to spend anything for the next release, then you can go for user stories. But if you want to go for longer survival, then use cases, as we can see, much better alternative. How does use case two differ is one of the common critiques and pushbacks that we hear about the original use cases. They were too cumbersome and hence user stories came around. So you're saying to me that use case two has got these use case slices that are roughly at the same level as the user story. How is this different from just using user stories? You get the big picture and the big picture will drive your work. It helps you prioritize your use case slices because you can easily prioritize use cases and then it helps you to prioritize use case slices to complete the picture. So this essentially also something that then helps not only the people who develop, but also other people that participate in making this a successful product, namely the salespeople. They need to be able to have something to sell and to express it in a simple way. And use case model is a very simple way to express it. You don't need the whole use case model. You may take an extract of it, 
but it is a good picture showing the users and what the users get from the product. It helps you to find the architecture because the highest prioritized use cases and their most important slices will form a basis for creating the architecture that is so important to get the product that leaves more than one release. And on and on, they have everything that you can desire from the development team's aspect, but they also have things that provide help for others. You know, today, use cases have become a common English word or term. Smart cities have use cases. Cloud computing has use cases. Not user stores, use cases. Self-driving cars have use cases. And industrial internet have lots of use cases. So uh, they talk about them in that way when they, when they build them. They specify what they want to get out of it. What kind of use cases do we need for self-driving cars? And then if you can seamlessly move these use cases over to the development, so they still exist in the development, they can speak to one another, they have the same concept they talk about, then you remove a seam or a gap between these different interests that you have on the customer side and on the development side. You say that they contain everything that is needed for development or helps to guide development. One of the challenges certainly that I've seen with user stories and in fact with, dare we call them, traditional use cases, use cases, the original or variations of use cases, is the quality aspects, the horrible term, non-functional requirements. Where do we distill those things when we're talking about products today? This is a really interesting contribution that use cases give because every use case has traditionally, since its beginning, has had a special compartment in the description, which is about non-functional requirements. Take, for example, that you do a bank transaction. Take a bank transaction use case. That use case has a function description, and that is part of a use case. But you also need to specify how many of these transactions do you want to have per second or minute or whatever. That is a non-functional requirement. You may also have to specify how many devices can you do this, this use case, this transaction. Basically, the non-functional requirements, there are some that are true for all use cases, all functions. They are, of course, separated out. For instance, if you want to use Windows or you want to use Android or something like that, if you want to run on a mobile phone or a laptop, these are generic for the whole application. But that is very relatively little requirements that is of that nature. Most other non-functional requirements are use case specific. So you can specify them in the context of a use case. And since use cases are significantly fewer, I mean, I think if you have uh, 700 user stories, you can make that easily with 12 use cases. If I think of that use case slice then, would that have its own quality criteria, non-functional, or would it automatically inherit from the parent use case? I cannot see that it would be specific. They would inherit from its parent use case. Can be something that is, of course, old, but no, I think since use case slices, there may be many use case slices that actually address the same data, for instance. Mm -hmm. 
they are totally integrated. Use cases are separate, but not independent from one another. They are separate. You can deal with them separately. Slices are much more integrated, and they are very dependent on one another. Mm-hmm. So uh, you have to build them in some sequence. You cannot start with any slice. You have to build something and you build more and more on top of it. Mm-hmm. And slices are, of course, very selected with some criteria in mind. So, for instance, it's not like slicing anything. You slice that part that has, for instance, to do with a transaction. And then you slice alternative paths. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you make a bank transaction, you have a happy day scenario. That's one. Then you have a scenario where you don't have, if your credit card may not work or something mm-hmm. like that. So, so mm-hmm. there are many. And, but you start building the happy day scenario. There's a new term here. What's the relationship between use cases and scenarios? So scenarios, we defined it many years ago. It's basically a described path through a use case. So it's basically a described use case instance. So use case instance is when you really run it. And a scenario is a description of particular such use case instance. The ideas have been around. We wrote a book about it 2011, I think. Mm-hmm. And we had used it before we wrote this in an e-book. It's a very thin book. I think it's only 65 pages. Mm-hmm. It's available on our website. But what we have done now recently is that we have done e-learning. So we developed for big U.S. bank an e-learning package. And this is now have been used very successfully and modified. So we have taken in inputs and so on. So now it's available. That is what we actually launch now, the e-learning. But in context with that, we also decided we are going to do a use case portal, a place where you go if you want to know anything about use cases. And we have had so much material that has been floating around on our website that now will be collected. It is very close to launching this portal. I mean, I'm going to talk about days. And this portal is intent to have all kinds of material, including the essentialized version of Use Case 2.0. So you can download the cards and you can get the games, you can play. So it is one part of this new launch. We have also applied, as I mentioned, for this US bank. So we have a case study on how valuable it was. We have also a description of what kind of tooling you could apply so people can get good advice on tooling. So this is what we have been launching now. And Mm -hmm. we have seen an enormous interest for it around the world. In fact, we didn't give what we should have done before. We haven't done the proper marketing of use case 2.0. And the reason is that we have been focusing so much on the much bigger task essence to get the platform because use case 2.0 as well as scrum and user stories are just practices Mm -hmm. and what we are trying to do is to create a new platform for all practices and that has been our main objective a herculean effort by the sound of it yeah (laughs) i've been working with essence since 2003 and since 2009 it has been my full-time work and, well, I still have had the company, so it means I work more than 40 hours a week. <laughs> but yeah. it's just fun. And I really enjoy seeing that you can make it so much easier to people. People who adopt it, they love it. It's just a slow adoption. I wish it was mm. much faster. 
So what have you heard? Do you hear people say anything about what they believe the essence is and how the future of it? Can it be successful? Certainly in the software engineering circles and a little bit in academia, definitely starting to hear it bubble up. So hopefully we're bringing on generations of new software engineers who maybe don't perpetuate some of the mistakes of the past. Ivar, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. If people want to continue the conversation, where do they find you? Where do they find the essence? And where do they find use case too? They find it on our website, ivayorkson.com. Very nice talking to you.